Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh, there's so much going on this week. I'm recording this late on Thursday night. I usually try to record early Thursday morning, but it's 10 p.m. in L.A., and I'm just getting a chance to sit down and record. I had a very, very busy day, but I'll get into that. The first thing that I want to talk about is rest in peace, Cicely Tyson. Uh, I was sitting at my kitchen table with a friend earlier today. I had my back to the TV and we were talking about something and then she just starts shrieking. And I'm like, what, what? The TV was on low, but I turned around and CNN had an announcement on the screen that Cicely Tyson had passed away. I cried. I felt like a relative had passed away. At 96, she lived a a long, incredible, rewarding, fulfilling life. But, but I guess I just, Cicely Tyson is just a staple in our lives. Even more so, I think, if you lived in New York, she was, if you were attending a ball or a gala in certain circles, it was guaranteed Cicely Tyson was going to be there. I've met her many times. I've seen her many times. Um, The first was, I guess, right before I started at Essence in 2007. Susan Taylor was being honored at an event. And my dad came to New York to take me to the event to introduce me to Susan Taylor. But Cicely Tyson was also at the event. And if I recall, she was sitting at the table with Andre Leon Talley. So I, I met both of them that night. And then also B. Michael. B. Michael is her stylist, but he's also her constant companion. If you saw Cicely Tyson anywhere, you also saw B. Michael. I mean, if I see her in person or if I see her on TV, B. Michael is somewhere close by. And I'm not even being funny. Someone please check on B. Michael. Make sure that he is okay. He loved, loved Cicely Tyson. But the last time I saw her, I was in New York for another Susan Taylor event. She does an annual gala as a fundraiser for her National Cares Movement. I was living in Maryland at the time, but I got the invite and I went up to New York to go to the gala and Cicely Tyson was being honored. She took the stage to accept her award and and the only thing I remember about her speech was she recited Langston Hughes' Mother to Son poem and it's the one that ends with my life ain't been no crystal stare. She started the poem and I realized what it was and like the English major in me was just ready to explode on the spot. I knew I was witnessing an amazing moment of history and I was so in the moment. It took me forever to reach into my pocket and put my phone up. So the video that I have is only literally the last line of the poem, my life ain't been no crystal stare. But fast forward that same night, Uh, Maxwell was performing and he came off the stage and went right up to Cicely Tyson and began serenading her. And she was sitting down and she got up to dance with him. This is 2018. I would say probably about three years ago today, that event was in January, but he sang and she danced and she clapped. She had her crisp black bobbed hair. She had a beautiful royal glue evening gown, but he told her how much we loved her. It was a really, really beautiful moment. And then the band went out and then the audience kept singing. He was singing, um, surely I realize you're the highest of the high. I can't remember the name of that song, but that song. And, and, and the band stopped playing and the audience kept going because we knew all the words. 
So a thousand black people in a ballroom singing acapella. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know how I feel about black people singing in unison and this in a crowd of people just move as one. It's one of my favorite black experiences, but you don't have to imagine what it looks like. This time I remembered to pull out my phone and I recorded all of this. I just posted it on my Instagram and my Facebook. So if you want to see one of my favorite black moments and you want to see an epic moment of Cicely Tyson receiving her flowers while she was alive, please go to my social at Demetria L. Lucas and take a look. Not so oddly enough, I was thinking about Cicely Tyson earlier today. Her book, her memoir, Just As I Am, came out two days ago, and I hadn't received a copy of the book yet. It's written in conjunction with Michelle Burford, who is an amazing writer. She's a founding editor of The Oprah Magazine, and she's also written memoirs in conjunction with Alicia Keys, Tony Braxton, Gabrielle Douglas, and Simone Biles, just to name a few. I just, I couldn't wait to get my hands on the book. So I was reading different articles to see if I could get some some tea and tidbits about what Cicely Tyson would reveal in her book. And from what I read, she has not disappointed. Vulture has an article about seven fascinating stories that Cicely Tyson shares in her book. And, you know, she lived 96 years. You know, there's a lot of story, some of it glamorous, some of it a little gutter worth sharing. Can I tell you about a couple of them that I found in the Vulture article? My favorite is the one that she shares about Tyler Perry's generosity. Cicely Tyson appeared in so many movies. Sounder and Miss Jane Pittman are probably the ones that she is best known for, but she was also regularly featured in many Tyler Perry films. And Tyler Perry loves him, some Cicely Tyson. He had very nice words about her after her passing as well. I'll read you that too in a second. But the story that's shared in the book is about Tyler Perry's generosity towards her. She writes, when he heard how little I was paid for Sounder and the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, his mouth fell open. From then on, he decided to double and sometimes even triple or quadruple my asking price for any role he requested that I play. She's also godmother to Tyler Perry's son, Amon, And Cicely Tyson describes, you should see that child and me down on the carpet together doing handstands with a nervous Tyler standing by to make sure I don't crack my neck. I'm sorry. The first time I read this, I thought she was saying that the child was doing handstands. Was Cicely Tyson doing handstands? I knew she was vibrant and active. I didn't know she was that active. Wow. The Tyler Perry posted on his Instagram he posted a series of pictures, but the main one is him all hugged up on, on Cicely Tyson and she's beaming and his beaming. They just happy to be together. But Tyler Perry wrote, I was sitting at the table working when I got this overwhelming feeling to watch Miss Jane Pittman. I hadn't seen the movie in years. I didn't even understand the feeling to turn it on, but I did anyway. Not 12 minutes into the movie, my phone rang. It was Oprah calling to tell me that Cicely had died. This one brought me to my knees. She was the grandmother I never had and the wisdom tree that I could always sit under to fill my cup. My heart breaks in one beat while celebrating her life in the next. To think that she lived 96 years and I got to be a part of her last 16 brings me great joy. She called me son. Well, today your son grieves your loss and will miss our long talks, your laughter from your belly, and your very presence. Always so regal, always so classy, always a lady, always a queen. Every time we would talk, I would ask, how are you? And she would say, I'm still here. He must have something he wants me to do. 
Well, I think it's safe to say you have done all you were put here to do, and we are all better for it. Whew. Got choked up reading that. Now, Cicely Tyson was undoubtedly a lady. She's also a Harlem lady. Harlem ladies can be very sweet, but you need not cross them. Tyson tells a story in her book about the time that she snatched Miles Davis's weave. She was married to Miles Davis for seven or eight years. And she says that one afternoon in 1987, that was six years into their marriage, she realized that he was cheating on her. She says she sniffed out the, quote, stench of Miles's philandering. She found a note from another woman which contained the address for their rendezvous. She hid the note and he wanted it back. And she said, I'm not giving you anything. Why don't you go out and meet your woman? You know where to meet her. She said she tried to leave wherever they were and twisted her wrist. So she grabbed his beloved hair weave. Am I the only person that didn't know Miles Davis had a hair weave? I've seen pictures of Miles Davis. I just thought he had a perm. You know, kind of like an Al Sharpton perm. That's Al Sharpton's hair, right? She grabbed his weave and she says, honey, he got to twisting and turning. And the more he tugged his head back and forth, trying to pry himself loose, the tighter I held on. By the time he struggled free, I was holding a whole bushel of his weave in my right hand. I hurled it onto the ground, marched out the door and slammed it shut. Well, she divorced him. A year later, she also recalls that at one point she heard Miles on the phone and he was telling somebody, do you know how much I paid for that weave? And she just snatched it right off my head. She said, I didn't know whether to laugh or to cringe, which is why I did both. That's a Harlem lady. Man, that was not news that I expected today. And I hope, BT, you have switched gears and you are preparing for a Cicely Tyson tribute. We are waiting with breath that is baited. We need a proper tribute with some good singers, some poets. We need to see some folks perform monologues. Please bring in Angela Bassett. She will do Miss Tyson proud. I do appreciate it. Man, 96 is a long life and and she lived it to the fullest. And I love that across social media, folks are sharing pictures of her from all aspects of her life, going back to her 20s and going into her 90s. She was such a strikingly beautiful woman. And Tyler Perry used my word, regal. It's a regal woman. I'm sorry to see her go, but I'm grateful that she graced us with her presence. And I'm grateful that she was celebrated while she was here. She knew what she meant to the world. Rest in peace, Cicely Tyson. Rest in peace also to Whitney Houston. Yesterday was the 30th anniversary of her performance of the Star Spangled Banner at the Super Bowl. Doesn't seem that long. I don't remember watching it live, but I'm sure that I did. I remember the adults buzzing about Whitney singing at the Super Bowl, and I'm sure I watched it, but I don't remember the reaction in real time. I remember the reactions the next day, and all anyone was talking about was how Whitney sang at the Super Bowl. Black folks have an interesting relationship with America. As a collective, we don't tend to get too sentimental about the Star Spangled Banner, but when Whitney sang it, You felt something she might not have usually felt. I remember being in the car with my parents when we were driving around listening to the radio and the radio station, the black radio station. I'm going to guess at the time it was 93.9 and Donnie Simpson was still on. My parents love Donnie Simpson. Everybody in D.C. does. 
You'd be driving along listening to the radio on a black radio station and they would play Whitney's version of the Star Spangled Banner like it was the latest hit, like it was a new single off her album. And I do remember her version being released as a single and it was breaking sales records. Quite the moment in time. And when I think of Whitney Houston, that's the way that I like to remember her. I like to remember her as she was in her videos. I like to remember her as she was in The Preacher's Wife. I like to remember her at her best before, how do I phrase this? Before she gave in to her worst impulses, before her tragic death. I like to remember her at her best because Whitney Houston at her best, as she was at the Super Bowl, I like to remember her that way. She was a beautiful woman. She was an amazingly talented woman. She had a gift in her voice, of course, but she also had training and she also had skill. She was one of the best. So it was good to remember her at her best. I'm by far not the most patriotic person, but I listened to her version of the Star Spangled Banner yesterday and I got chills four different times in the song. Like the note she hits, the octave that she hits on the second part of, of Free, my God, such a talent. May she rest in peace as well. I'm grateful for the gifts that she shared during her time here, albeit brief. <sighs> rest in peace, Whitney. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Some good news. We need some good news. I feel a little sad right now. Amanda Gorman, the youth poet laureate that performed at inauguration, who left Anderson Cooper stunned in an interview. <laughs> He's Anderson Cooper. I've watched so many of his interviews and so often people are very starstruck by him. And Anderson Cooper was starstruck by Amanda Gorman. Like he, he just was in awe. He could barely speak. He was just like, wow, wow. Anderson Cooper is never speechless. He always has something to say until he met Amanda Gorman. But Amanda Gorman, she will be performing at the Super Bowl. I don't even know who's doing the halftime show this year. I, I don't even know when the Super Bowl is, but I will figure it out so I can watch Amanda Gorman. She's having a great week. She also got signed to IMG Models, which makes total sense because she's gorgeous. I look forward to hearing her words and seeing that pretty brown face 
in many, many places. I'm so proud of her. I'm proud of her like she's family. Like I know her and she's done something good. So that's good news. Nick Cannon, Mr. Cannon also has a job, a talk show. This talk show was supposed to come out a while ago, but Nick had an unfortunate conversation on his podcast in which he said some not so favorable things about Jewish people. I don't know what he was thinking. Anyone in the public eye or anyone who observes people in the public eye, there's a couple groups that you tread very lightly around when you speak of them. One of them is Jewish folks. One of them is LGBT folks. They don't play. And I wish folks had the same respect or even fear of cancellation when they say crazy things about black people because that's just, you know, run of the mill. People say that ish every day and it's like, oh, 40 degree day. It's a wire reference. He had some unfortunate things to say and the consequences were swift and severe. If I remember this right, he lost his show on MTV while and out. And then he was also banned from all Viacom airwaves, which means CBS, MTV, VH1. Viacom owns a bunch of stuff. BET, BET is Viacom. I used to work there. He didn't lose his job on NBC. He's the host of The Masked Singer. He's still the host. He kept the checks coming, which he's known for. Nick Cannon stayed with a good job. But this time, he has a nationally syndicated daytime talk show, which will air this fall on Fox Television. Now, this show was originally slated for a fall 2020 launch, and it got pushed for the reasons that we just spoke about. It's described in very general terms as, quote, an exciting, fun, and uplifting show reflecting Cannon's brand of celebrity, music, comedy, and pop culture. Okay. I'll give it a whirl. I'll tune in to see what Nick's talking about and who he's talking to. Let's see what else is going on. I have on my list Tyrese's comments under Kirk Franklin's post. Kirk Franklin and his wife Tammy recently celebrated 25 years of marriage. And Tammy Franklin posted a picture of she and her husband looking very loving. She posted that on her Instagram page. It's an adorable photo of the couple. And underneath the photo, Tyrese commented. Tyrese said, happy, happy, happy anniversary. Many exclamation points. Magic, magic, and more magic. Double ellipsis. Then he says, dear Samantha. He's addressing his estranged wife. Tyrese is in the middle of a divorce. But he says, Dear Samantha, this was supposed to be us. Ellipsis. Remember the Franklins was our marriage goals. Many, 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 many exclamation points. Smiling, smiling. Long ellipsis. I'm going to get her back. Watch me. Exclamation point. And then he says in parentheses, I think. Sir, I don't understand what would compel someone to go up under somebody's anniversary post, a friend's anniversary post, and post a shout out to his estranged ex-wife. Now, when they were parting ways, they released a joint statement that sounded very good, very respectful, like things were at peace. They asked people to respect their privacy, which I respect. And I did. There were reports later that he had kicked his wife and his child out of his home. Notably, Tyrese denies it. But going up under somebody's Instagram post and and writing an open letter to your estranged wife about how you're going to get her back and remember what your marriage was supposed to be. Like, I, I'm all for, like, I, I totally respect folks who want to fight for their marriage. But, but friend, friend, this ain't the way. 
That's not it. Speak to her privately. The performative groveling, publicly guilting your partner, or trying to sway public opinion so people start harassing your partner, saying, take him back, take him back, take him back. Remember how that happened with Cardi and Offset? I think the first time they separated that we knew about. Yeah, it's gross. It's gross. So I wish Samantha, I hope that she is somewhere well and somewhere safe and somewhere as sane as you can be in the process of divorce. I hope that she is well. And I hope that, um, and surely you hear me walking on cliched eggshells as I speak about this situation. I just, I don't think Tyrese is quite right. And I mean that the way old folks say it. I don't, I don't think he's quite right. I hope he gets some help. I hope he has good people in his life who at some point, because they haven't thus far, at some point can, can speak to him and get through to him and help him get the help that he so very obviously and very clearly needs. If nothing else, discuss boundaries with this man because he's, he's, he's not displaying. He's not displaying boundaries. It's unhealthy. Very unhealthy. What else do we have on our agenda? Oh, Dr. Burks. Remember Dr. Burks? Dr. Hermes is what I call her when, when I do the recaps of America's season finale because she used to wear scarves. Every time she showed up at the COVID press conference, she had a new scarf. So I call her Dr. Hermes. We hadn't heard from her. The, the COVID task force stopped happening. We didn't hear from her on the national stage for quite some time. But now she's making the media rounds and she's talking about the crazy of the behind the scenes of the White House response to COVID. We could see from the press conferences and the way that the occupant, the then occupant, handled COVID and the more than 400,000 people that have died, the more than 25 million Americans that are infected. We knew y'all ain't handled that shit right. That's not a surprise. But she's spilling tea behind the scenes. She's done a couple interviews. But among her bombshell revelations, she said when she was standing on the stage or sitting in her little seat, she said the occupant would pull up graphs about COVID that she'd never seen. She said, I would give him information. I would give him graphs to use that explained the trajectory of what was happening, that gave him the numbers, that gave him the information. And then I would show up to the press conferences and he'd have whole different graphs and whole different numbers. And I have no idea where they came from. I don't know who gave them to him. I don't know who he was talking to. She also says there was never a full-time response from the White House for COVID. She was a team of one. There was nobody full-time. She said she pulled in people from other agencies who were working on the project, who got paid to work on the project. But she was like, there was never anybody full-time. And I was like, there's a global pandemic that's killing people or getting them sick left and right. And the White House didn't even bother to hire people full-time to address it? You know, it would have been really helpful if she said this at the beginning of the pandemic. Or if she said this while Trump was still in office, I think as a collective, half of a collective, I think half of America is still operating with some sense. There's, there's a lost other half. They just in the wilderness with no compass and no desire for one. But I was like, you're a doctor. You took the Hippocratic oath. Do no harm. You got one job and it's not even to save lives. It's do no harm. And you sat there and watched a man lie to the American public about the impact of COVID, about the numbers surrounding COVID. You watched the White House respond to the COVID pandemic with a part-time staff. 
all these people dead, all these people sick, all these people with no jobs, they ain't got food, they can't afford their rent. Entire cities shut down for months at a time. Entire industries collapsing. And you sat there and said nothing and did nothing. You have blood on your hands. Half the country recognizes that Trump does. He has the blood of the people that died or were killed during the insurrection at the Capitol. But these 400,000 people, they ain't have to die. Many of whom died alone with no family who said goodbye via FaceTime. You have blood on your hands for that. But she's going on this tour like, oh, I'm going to tell the truth. These are the things that happened. You could have kept that shit at this point. When you had the opportunity to do something, you did nothing. You let people die. Ugh. I'm so glad that administration is out of office. I'm so glad we have adults in the room again. I was watching the news the other day and President Biden, six months, seven months after George Floyd was killed. I still haven't seen that video. I refuse to watch it. But he was killed, murdered by four police officers. Protests and or uprisings in all 50 states and many countries and many countries across the world. Trump never really said too much about it. But Biden actually got on camera the other day and he had thoughtful words of sympathy and compassion. He talked about addressing racial inequity in the United States, which, sir, I respect you for trying. I don't know how far you're going to get because Kennedy tried that. And they shot half that man's head off. And then they killed his brother. Folks trying to get racial equity, especially for black folks, don't tend to fare too well in America. I like that he's put back in motion the plan to get Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. I appreciate that. It's symbolic. It's not as significant as, say, I don't know, canceling student loans. That would be really helpful. But I do appreciate the gesture. Whenever I go to black countries, I get so excited to exchange money and get the local currency just to see black folks on the bill. Again, it's symbolic, but it's also important to be recognized and be represented. I can't wait to get my Tubmans. I'm weirdly excited about this because Obama's administration had put it in motion and then the occupant came in and just, you know, messed up everything, everything. But now it seems like we might be getting, I choose my words carefully here, the knee might be off our net. We still pinned on the ground, but the knee might be off our net. Something I wanted to talk about, because I saw so many people talking about it, and I was like, huh? Is this Reddit, GameStop, Robin Hood situation? I was really clueless. I didn't understand. So I finally just asked on Facebook. So I finally just asked on Facebook, can somebody break it down for me like seventh grade language, because I'm not understanding what this is. And I can ask questions like that because so many of my readers are just really, really smart. One of them who broke it down for me was a trader at Goldman Sachs. I was like, thanks, sis. I appreciate you. There were also people who responded. They were like, it's like trading places. And like, I know what trading places is. Like it's an Eddie Murphy film. I don't think I've ever seen it. I know the general premise, like Eddie Murphy is poor, then Eddie Murphy gets rich, and then the white people are rich, and then the white people become poor. I can't tell you any details about it. But a woman on my page broke it down like this, and I was like, oh. So she said, I know Macy put shoes on sale for 40% off. So I borrow a friend's shoes, take them back to Macy's to get the $100 for the return, And I go back to Macy's to buy the shoes at the discounted price of $60. 
I keep $40 for profit and my friend gets her shoes back. But what if the shoes aren't available when I go back to Macy's? I still owe my friend the exact pair of shoes that I borrowed. So now I have to find the pair of shoes and pay for them at whatever price I can get them. And maybe now I can only get them on Amazon for $350. So in this scenario, I'm out $250 instead of making $40. And this is how this translates with this Reddit GameStop situation. With GameStop, a few weeks ago, a Redditor on the Wall Street Bets page noticed that a hedge fund had taken a massive amount of short trades against GameStop. And what I described about the shoes, how you borrow them, return them for 100 and then go rebuy them for 60 essentially that's what a short stop is. Okay, the Redditor convinced everyone on the thread to join forces and buy as much GameStop stock as possible. This made the price rise and the hedge fund short position started to lose billions. Their losses even surpassed the $13.1 billion that the hedge fund was worth. Eventually, the hedge funds had to close their short positions and buy all the GameStop stock back at much, much higher prices, sending the price even higher still. This is called a short squeeze. Now the hedge fund is declaring bankruptcy and the Reddit thread is combing through other hedge funds with massive short exposure so they can short squeeze other hedge funds into bankruptcy as well. Wall Street is saying that the public joining together in this fashion should be illegal, but really, they just lost at their own game to the masses. After the hedge fund collapsed, Robinhood and other brokerages decided to block retail investors, i.e. the Redditors and people like them, from purchasing stock while hedge funds are freely able to trade the stock as they see fit. AOC, along with Ted Cruz and Donald Trump Jr., all have a fit. And they're just like, no, it's not fair to quote and unquote block the little guy and instead show favoritism to Wall Street. And many people have pointed out that when AOC, Ted Cruz, and Donald Trump Jr. are all on the same side, something crazy is happening. AOC tweeted, gotta admit, it's really something to see Wall Streeters with a long history of treating our economy as a casino complain about a message board of posters also treating the market as a casino. She said she wants to know more about Robinhood app's decision to block retail investors from purchasing stock while hedge funds are freely able to trade the stock as they see fit. She adds, as a member of the Financial Services Committee, I'd support a hearing if necessary. A quick aside about AOC and Ted Cruz. When AOC called for a congressional investigation into Robinhood's actions, Ted Cruz replied, fully agree. I don't know what he was expecting to come from that. AOC responded, I am happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there's common ground, but you almost had me murdered three weeks ago so you can sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other GOP that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you, Ted Cruz, want to help, you can resign. She continued, you haven't even apologized for the serious physical and mental harm you contributed to from Capitol Police and custodial workers to your own fellow members of Congress. In the meantime, you can get off my timeline and stop clout chasing. Thanks. <laughs> I love her. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you very much to the readers who explained it to me. And I know that what I shared is just a very simplistic version. So I need to figure out exactly what all this means and not just in the moment, but what it means for the stock market going forward. And also let me give credit to, there's a man on Twitter. His handle is N-O-T-A-S-D-F-G-H-J-K-L-X. He describes himself as a PhD student in computing and artificial intelligence and also a former Goldman Sachs employee. So thank you for the overview. So I at least knew where to start. I do appreciate the good folks on Twitter sometimes. One last thing that I wanted to speak about, thing, person, thing, whatever. He is a white guy. He has a black girlfriend. On Wednesday, NFL.com, and I'm reading from The Root. On Wednesday, NFL.com reported that Wheeler was facing three charges. First degree domestic violence assault, domestic violence unlawful imprisonment, and resisting arrest. Each of these charges is in relation to an assault that he allegedly, you have to say that because he hasn't been convicted, that he allegedly unleashed on his girlfriend over the weekend. I'm going to read to you what the police report said. It was posted on NFL.com. The alleged victim was attacked by Wheeler Friday night after he asked her to stand up and bow to him. When she declined, Wheeler allegedly grabbed her by the neck and threw her on the bed. Wheeler then proceeded to strangle the victim, and at one point, he removed one of his hands to press it against the victim's mouth and nose, trying to stop her from breathing as he continued to strangle her with his other hand. He also allegedly grabbed the victim's left arm at one point and twisted it to prevent her from fighting back. Isn't that the same thing Cicely Tyson accused Miles Davis of doing? She eventually lost consciousness. There's a text allegedly from the victim that is floating around the internet. And that text from the victim reads, what was most terrifying was how cold he was. He thought I was dead on my bed and continued to eat dinner. When I ran into the bathroom, he said, wow, you're still alive while sipping on a smoothie. There are pictures of the victim circulating around the internet. I have not and will not repost them. He beat the shit out that girl. Like she's almost unrecognizable. He beat the dog shit out of her. It wasn't just he strangled her. There's clear signs of a physical altercation all over her face. Her face is swollen. She's, she's 5'9 and 140 pounds. He is 6'7 and 310 pounds. Now, after he was released on bond, he took to Twitter to apologize. He wrote, quote, events happened over the weekend that transpired from a manic episode. I am deeply sorry for the pain and suffering that I have caused to, he names his girlfriend, hopefully his ex-girlfriend, and her family. He follows again, I apologize profusely for the turmoil that I have caused to my family, teammates, fans, and those closest to me. The most important thing right now is my girlfriend, that she gets the care she needs and I get help. Both are happening. Nigga. It's amazing to me how so many white people can do like the most violent, disturbing, sick shit and still get released on bail. I'm speaking of this monster here, Wheeler. 
alleged monster. But I'm also thinking about those folks at the Capitol. Like you ran up in the Capitol trying to hang the vice president and kill the Speaker of the House and any other Congress people, Democrats in particular, that you might have encountered. And you get released on your own recognizances. Was it the day before the inauguration? There was some guy who pulled up to the gates, either the Capitol or, or trying to get on the inauguration grounds. He had a gun. He had a fake pass to get on the inauguration grounds. He was arrested and released. They sent him home and said, well, stay out of D.C. Okay. What? Many people pointed out how long it took for this story to circulate. The story circulated on Wednesday, but the incident happened, the root said, over the weekend. But it was Friday night. I guess that counts as, as weekend. But many people pointed out when there's a domestic violence situation involving a black athlete, that's a leading news story. They talked about that Ray Rice video and how that video was everywhere. And I was like, well, did you see the video? But I do think there's something to the outrage that many people have over the reporting of this incident. And also the Seahawks response. The alleged assault happened on Friday night. The Seahawks' first statement came on Monday and said, quote, we are aware of the situation and gathering information. That's it. After Wheeler's name started trending on Twitter on Wednesday, that's when they released a second statement. And I'm reading this one from the Seahawks PR account on Twitter. It says the Seahawks are saddened by the details emerging against Chad Wheeler and strongly condemn this act of domestic violence. Our thoughts and support are with the victim. Chad is a free agent and no longer with the team. And they go on to say, we encourage Chad to get the help he needs. The writer on Yahoo Sports points out that Wheeler had been prescribed medication for a bipolar disorder, but had not been taking it. He acknowledges that it's a serious mental health concern and also points out that the National Domestic Violence Hotline does not cause anyone to become an abuser. He also points out that what is described in the police report sounds more like attempted murder than domestic violence. If Wheeler had tried what he allegedly did with someone that he was not in a relationship with, it'd be clear-cut attempted murder. If you strangle someone and then put your hand over their mouth, you are deliberately cutting off their air supply. We need air to breathe. We need breath to live. He's trying to kill this woman, but he was not charged with attempted murder. I feel so awful for this woman. The Seahawks are trash for not speaking up swiftly. And this man is trash for what he allegedly did. So sad. One more detail from the police report. When an officer asked the girlfriend if she thought she was going to die after the alleged attack, she responded, quote, I thought I already had. Jesus. And I really don't know what else to say. This country has a serious issue with domestic violence. But a lot of men, even the men who would be like, I would never hit a woman. We were actually having a conversation about this on Facebook the other day. Many men's definition of violence, especially towards women, there's a willful disconnect. Because if someone slapped a man's mom, he would immediately recognize that as you are being violent with my mother and now I have to kill you. But women who are not in their family, who they don't have a close connection with, I'm saying disassociate, but I think the word that I mean is they choose not to care. I also think that many men 
choose to have a blind eye definition of violence when it comes to women. I remember this guy who was my friend at the time, very nice guy, super sweet, very protective. I would trust him with my life because I had to at one point and he came through. But we were on the phone and he was telling me about an argument that he got into with his significant other. And he was like, yo, so she says this and I say this. And, you know, then she says this and it was something wild. Like it was a crazy thing to say to somebody. And I'm like, oh my God, she said that. And I was like, well, then what did you say? And he was like, yo, I slapped her. And I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me? And he was like, yeah, I slapped her. And then he's just going on with the conversation. Like you didn't just drop this, this major bombshell. And I was like, nope, nope, pause, stop, rewind, replay. And I was like, are you saying to me that you slapped your girlfriend? And he was like, yo, why are you asking me that? Like, like, like I hit her. And I was like, cause you did. And he was like, I didn't hit her. I slapped her. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I was like, what is slapping someone if it's not hitting them? And he was like, yo, D, you wildin'. You acting like I punched her in her face. You just finished telling me you slapped your girlfriend. And he was like, what do you want me to say? That I'm not going to slap her again? And I was like, okay, I can't talk to you. I, I can't. I have to get off the phone. I was like, yo, am I high? And I don't even smoke or do gummies or any of that shit. That's just not my thing. But I was like, yo, I got to be high. I got to be in the twilight zone. Ashton Kutcher or, or Nick Cannon is about to pop out at any moment and be like, ha ha. But he was dead ass serious. He's not the first or only guy I've had that conversation with. And I do have enough good sense to be like, you know what? I, mm-mm, this friendship, mm-mm. And I have no answers for this one. Women been trying to get men to stop beating their asses since time immemorial. And, they, and men still do it. Maybe if they got locked up for doing it. A valiant attempt at murdering someone. I mean, he thought he murdered her and kept eating and drinking a smoothie. Maybe if incidents like this were treated with the seriousness that they deserve, it wasn't diminished really by calling it a domestic violence in- by calling it a domestic violence incident just because these two people know each other or they're in a relationship with each other. His team heard about it and didn't even immediately drop him. We're examining the situation. What you need to examine? His big crazy ass beat the shit out of woman. What else you need to know? I have a couple other things that I want to talk about, but we'll save them for next week. Also had an announcement that I wanted to make this week, but we could save that too. Oh, we can't save this one. This is important. Don't waste your pretty merchandise goes on sale next week. I tell you all the time to follow me on social media so you get all the notifications. I would really, really strongly suggest that you follow me on at least Instagram or Facebook before Monday. If you want merch for Don't Waste Your Pretty. As I record this, I am sitting in my loft with boxes stacked to the ceiling. So at least for this drop, well, tune into my social media. You can see it for yourself. That's at Demetria L. Lucas. If you also need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and next Tuesday, you can also follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. So that's not everything, but this is where we'll end tonight. Okay, talk soon. Bye.